Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm Steve Casco here at RPA Today, and we're very excited to do a podcast with one of our great partners, Blueprint Software Systems. And Matt, why don't you take a moment, introduce yourself and our featured speaker, and the floor is yours. Awesome. Thank you very much for having us, Steve. So my name is Matt Agnew. I am with Blueprint Software Systems, and I'm really excited today because with RPA Today, we are launching a new podcast series, Automation Untangled. And the main reason we're doing this is because I found out that there's 250 million podcasts in the world, and I figured, hey, why not have another one? So, you know, if Ryan Leaf, one of the great NFL busts of all time, can have a podcast, why can't we? So that, that's what we're doing here. So Blueprint Software Systems is a software company that's designed to help you with your automation challenges. And this podcast is designed to do the exact same thing, help you just listen to some experts, get some people here that have been doing this for a while. And one of those great experts we have today is Kieran Gilmurray. Kieran, how are you today? Yeah, doing really good. And thank you so much for putting me on your first podcast. It's really exciting. Who cares about the other 250,000? They don't matter today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, think, I think, did I say 250,000? I think it was 250 million, which is <laughs> even more. But no, we'll be, we'll be, we'll be uh, towards the top. <laughs> Can't, can't hurt to have another one. So, Kieran, I know you are a bit of a, a jack of all trades and in the, in the best possible, most complimentary way possible. I know you're doing a lot of things. So why don't you talk a little bit about your experience in the automation realm and kind of why you're here today and what you know about in the RPA space and intelligent automation? Yeah, it might take longer than a little 30 minutes that we'll fit in here. But look, the current incantation of automation, the last six, eight years, it's been very much about RPA and intelligent automation as a set of tools to include RPA. And I got immersed in that very early on. I really love the technology. I love what it can do. I love the numbers of careers and opportunities created. Uh, but automation has been around a lot further back than that. So I've been in business and technology, and I always say I sit between the two layers because I talk about business transformation or digital transformation, but technology has been one of the biggest catalysts for changes in business and society over the last 30, 50, whatever year period you want. Uh, but I've been doing automation since then, be that something as simple as working on case management and case flows to writing scripts that sent emails and text messages to clients and law firms and, 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 all to try and make you know businesses a lot more efficient, a lot more profitable, to get customers things that they want with the least friction and the least customer effort as possible, and to try to allow staff to have the most amazing experience when they come to work, as opposed to doing mundane. So none of the rules have changed. It's just we've seen fantastic developments in the RPA and intelligent automation sectors in the last lot of years that are now really coming to bear because most people have learned a lot of valuable lessons as to how to get these technologies to work or how they don't work. And now you're starting to see great examples of where these tools allow tactical and strategic innovation and money and cost savings and a whole host of other things. And literally love this space, have written the book on it. So tell me a little bit about that book. So I know we, I think if everyone here that's registered for this, we are offering. So I think the first 50 people that joined it today are actually going to get a free copy of Kieran's earbooks ebook so tell us a little bit about your book please yeah it, th that book Matthew was uh born out of frustration and joy I probably need to explain that 
when I started out in this industry eight plus years ago, uh, I did a pilot with a company and I recommend everybody does that to get used to the software. So when you're selecting it, don't necessarily go just to the whatever analyst reports or whatever the so-called top three or whatever else are. And there's nothing wrong with those technologies. They're fantastic. Just go and pick the technology that really works for you and, and matches all of your needs. But I paid tens and tens of thousands for very little information. It was a little wild west. I was paying a lot of money per day training people. And when I looked at the information, ultimately, I went, well, my goodness, this isn't this isn't brilliant by any means. It's got me off and running. I did a pilot. To be honest, it was an absolute mess. But it was the best experience ever because it taught me so many things right at the beginning. But I went, well, why is this information not available? Because you could have put me off using this technology if I hadn't been in the industry for lots of years because I've seen the potential with it, not the execution. And I thought, okay, look, I, I'm actually going to work out how to do this and I'm going to give whatever information I have away. And I started to write on LinkedIn. I'm up to about 230, 250 articles, never mind posts and carousels and whatever else and audios and videos. Uh, so that was the frustration part. I, I need to get information out there because I believe all boats float on a rising tide. And this market, the business market, is big enough and the automation technology is clever enough to work against or with any role in any business, pretty much in any sector, in some shape, form or other. So give it away, everybody will benefit and the market's big enough for everyone. And then I thought, well, hold on, what type of book do I want to produce that's not on the market uh, that I think people could benefit from? And I went, well, actually, let me reach out to 90 hand-picked experts. And these are people who don't describe a robot, but have never built one. These are the folks who've been in consulting and doing and building and heads of COEs and analysts and process miners and process experts and business folks who've done this in years. And we wrote the practitioner's book that is a no BS, I kind of got banned on Amazon for putting the word no BS into that one, uh, guide that you can pick up and turn page after page or jump into sections of it and you can learn everything that all of those folks have learned. It's taken me 10, 20,000 hours to learn it and certainly them as well. And you're often running for you know what is essentially ten dollars so you imagine the collective wisdom put in there there's 90 experts or more there's 150 quotes there's six case studies there's seven best practice guides and just a ton of easily readable highly digestible very actionable content and advice and expertise in there to allow anyone to be successful with intelligent automation and rpa and I recommend that anybody who buys that book, uh, and the money, by the way, doesn't go to me, the money's all set up to go to charity, genuinely did this to try and just get great information out onto the network and benefit a social housing charity and another cancer charity as well. Um, connect with all the experts and follow what they're saying because the knowledge of these individuals is just amazing. And I was really proud to work with all of them to produce something that I know and hope will benefit a lot of people in the years to come. You know what? You're a rare breed because you you were putting out your knowledge there because you felt like you know people needed it and you didn't want people to necessarily have the same experience you had and you're giving that profit to charity. So so thank you very much for putting that together. It's a really exciting read. And like I said, um, the first 50 people who attend here, we're going to send you a free copy from ZBook. So we hope you enjoy it. So. Kieran, you said something interesting about the idea of RPA and intelligent automation kind of being the wild, wild west when you started. And, you know, I'm relatively new myself. I've been in the RPA space for about a year now, but I've been in the IT sector 
for a while. And there's this word governance that goes around in a lot of different IT and technology spaces, which I've come to realize just means people, you know, it's we're looking for a cure to the wild, wild west factor, <laughs> right? So everyone's saying we need more governance around RPA. And it's really just saying people are just doing whatever they want. There's no central control or no central management. And so you know, where have you seen that concept evolve? Because like, everyone knows it's there, you know, in the past couple of years, where have we been able to try to overcome this wild, wild west concept in intelligent automation? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of wild, wild wests, which is always the interesting part. So years ago, and again, like all industries follow the same hype curve. I've seen these so many times over, it's funny to actually recognize a new technology, but nothing new in the space. Uh, and at one stage, everybody was shouting about, you know, you can get rid of all your staff by putting in a robot. And you're sort of going, well, hold on a second here. Let me just think about that. But nobody did. A robot allows me to do the clickety-click, but hold on, who's doing the thinkety-think? In other words, the interpretation, the conversational, the thinking, the judgment, the decision-making. And of course, you always needed intelligent automation. And now that technology has reached a technology level that you can do amazing things with. But eight, 10 years ago, it was a robot's going to do everything that all of your workers can do, despite only having the fingers of the human body. So that was the first thing. And I remember standing at conferences and people going, put up your hand if you got 50 robots. And people ashamedly kept their hands down and whatever else. And then all of a sudden, you got 50 robots and you were massively underutilizing because you didn't probably need them at that stage. And I, I laughed at the time because you're going, who would turn up at a golf dinner and turn around and say to their golf buddies, you know, do you know something? I hired 50 workers and the great news is none of them are doing anything. You know what I mean? But I've got 50 workers every scale. You wouldn't do it. So there's a little bit of that at the time and a little bit of the old BS around you can replace all of your workforce. Any great technology augments great people. And that's one of the first principles that, you know, can you replace people? Yeah, you probably can. Do you know what I mean? You can take hours out. You can not hire people. Lots of ways of saving money with automation technology. But as I once said, and I've done a lot of restructures in companies, you can't cut your way out of a problem. You know, you're much better looking at technology as an augmentation to brilliant people. So brilliant tech, brilliant people. Normally, if you put a good business strategy around that results in a bit in a great business. But then the next layer of, of, of cowboy land, having come out from in, was analysts talking about all the things you could do with the technology. And I remember asking one or two of them, have you actually built a robot? And they went, well, no, but we've heard that. And it's going, well, look, you know, get your hands dirty in the trenches and understand what it can do, because it is amazing tech, but it just can't do everything yet. And over the years, it's involved from a very simple tool that does effective things to a platform or collection of tools that actually allow you to do the clickety-click, the thinkety-think, and everything else in between. You know, the process mining, the task mining, the automation, the decisioning, the doing, and you name it. it, it it's what is now possible compared to eight to 10 years ago is fantastic. But you get inside the firms, and then with the best will in the world, and I've seen this lots of times, executives who brought it in or technology specialists who got to play with this technology, then all of a sudden started throwing robots at everything. And that's a little bit of the Wild West in there, because I always recommend you find a business problem and you use technology where applicable to help you solve that business problem. So rather than throwing a robot or a piece of automation at something, you need to say, well, what's my business strategy? How can I enable that with technology and amazing people and everything else in between? Uh, what is the process flow that's actually involved to enable me to deliver the business outcomes I want? 
where should I, not could I, put technology? Because anybody you're dealing with, there is key moments of truth in every process stream. So if I'm buying a property or if I'm buying car insurance, I do want to talk to someone at a particular point in time, or I might need something clarified. So at that key moment of truth, put me to a human. When I'm doing something manual and mundane, use great tech, conversational AI, conversational business application layers to make great decisions and serve me 24 hours or whatever else. But put the technology in to solve a business problem in a way that is profitable, in a way that causes the customer customer delight, they have a great experience, it's the least frictional, attritional process possible, and give me technology as an agent or as a worker with inside of a company that I have a joy to work with. And then what I want you to do is build the business case that shows me this. So I always say, wrap your accountant around your automation program or technology program. Be careful, you don't just run it as a numbers game as well. There's a danger in that because how do you know what innovation is going to bring? But build automations that have a business case behind them that are going to address a business or strategic problem. Put it in place and include all of your costs, the cost to build, the cost for consultancy, the cost for license. And then the bit that people often forget is the cost for run, the cost for maintenance, the cost for fix, the annual recurring licenses and ever increasing costs to the license offer. And that's natural because business costs, license costs should as well. Get used to it, it's healthy. We need these folks in business to support us, but bring in all your costs. Put that in your business case over a one, three or five year cycle, wherever you think you're going to need this technology in place. And the governance is that first layer. Business problem, right technology, business case built, and then come back and keep checking. So in three months, everything you said you were going to get, are you still getting it? And often you're actually getting more because you now realize what the automation can deliver. And then come back in six months and 12 months and 24 months and just put a little bit of manners around the business case. And then the rest of the governance is just making sure that you're not duplicating and triplicating efforts across your firm. So you end up with one or, or possibly more than one vendor in your organization, one technology stack, the best of methods that normally your COE distribute out, one sets of code building blocks, not five variations of the same thing, but just build your governance in a way that works for you as an organization, but puts good business and coding manners and good standards around what you're doing and everybody becomes really clear as to what's required and what's needed and normally you find the pace of automations go up the quality of the automations go up and on the back of that the business outcome benefits they go up as well yeah you know that's really interesting and there was a lot of really great points there and one thing i want to hone in on that you said so you know, another idea where we kind of have problems with this wild, wild west cowboy approach, I think, is where RPA lives in your company, right? Because that's not very uniform right now, right? So, I mean, you mentioned COE, the center of excellence, like that's the kind of gold standard right now where people want to go. But, you know, one problem I've seen is where one group of people are building the bots and then another group of people are maintaining the bots and there, there's that's where i find you have a really hard time capturing what you said is you know they, they might try to estimate all those costs up front but they might not get it right like you said those maintenance costs you, you can make you can do that very incorrectly you can really under you can make mistakes on your licensing costs that you have for all your different applications that are involved so 
you know, I know, I know the COE is a gold standard, but how, how can companies kind of get there? What's really the ideal spot? Like if you had your way, you, you know, company said, you know, company came to you and said, Karen, where should I put my RPA team? It's in your hands. Where would you put it? Who are they reporting to? What's the kind of structure that you would kind of put it under? Yeah, I'm going to give you a horrible answer, Matthew. It really depends, you know. Oh, the IT answer. Yeah. I know. It's like, well, let me give you a better answer than it depends. So let me give you two scenarios, large organization, small organization. In large organizations that span many offices, many countries or whatever else, the real risk of those organizations is duplication of effort. So, you know, you have uh, name a platform, you know, UiPath, Automation Anywhere, Blue Prism, you know, Argos Labs, pick, take your pick, you know, Pega, whatever. You've one pocket here and another one here and another one here and another one here. And you might go, that's not possible. I was in an org that had five different versions of software because nobody talked to each other, which meant five different types of developer, five different learning programs, five different environments and so on. And you're going, right, hold on a second, folks. You know, do, do you not talk? And very often vendors actually connect people together. So in that instance there, I would recommend, look, have a COE because you're big enough to be able to afford <clears throat> ahead of a COE and you're build, big enough to develop a governance or a playbook or a manual, have one environment or if you've two pieces of software because they might do different things, have two environments and then make sure they're well maintained and well configured and then you set out a set of governance standards and then you push those out to the business. A COE cannot and probably never will allow you to scale automation across an enterprise because let's be honest it's not fair in the coe to expect to know every fiber of a business yeah. it's not fair in them to understand and come up with every idea that's potentially or practically possible but it is their job to set standards and to create trained citizen developers and to create hubs of expertise in different parts of the organizations so you might have a coe sitting in it and then you might have a, a a federated COE sitting in HR and one in finance and one in operations and one in IT or, or wherever it is, you know, and that way there you can guarantee the standards and make sure everybody's following the same methodology and you don't uh, waste effort, time or money. So that, that would be a pretty good standard and a pretty cool thing to be able to do and it's been shown in research that that works best. Now let's get to a very small organization because you're not going to say right build ahead of the COE, get an advocate in, hire 10 BSAs if there's only 50 people in an organization. Automation and scale will mean very different things for those. In that instance you might actually have one person who actually builds the automations for everyone else in the business and they might have someone who actually helps them and therefore you know they put in a package and they put in a platform of tools that automates whatever it is that they want to automate and you don't that is essentially the coe or whatever else and then you sort of go well, hold on is that an it person or is that a not an it person proven over the last 20 30 years if you try and roll out technology and this is technology and it might be business technology but it's still technology without involving your it team then you run a several risks one the it team get grumpy and i have seen that and i've seen the vanity and well we know better and if you don't come with us we'll make it miserable for you i've been you know, on the end grumpy it guys aren't good for anybody they're not different than anyone oh. you know but good it people are business people you know what i mean so even if it's in their area it's just another area just they help make it work so always involve your it team in some shape form or other because they'll keep you right in terms of cybersecurity and everything else you wouldn't do your own finance accounts and ignore your cfo same difference you know, 
But very often this is a business tech. It's one of those first technologies that's been simple enough to allow the business to actually do things themselves through point and click. And it's decluttered and decomplicated software development. And the one thing that's changing businesses today is IT. And the more IT skills that you can give someone and the more great software that you can hand to them and train them to use effectively, the more business you can do. The balance becomes training people and allowing them to do things and enabling them and providing coaching and mentorship and everything else to allow them to be successful. And that's what I describe as a citizen developer and having great IT expertise to keep you right for all the cybersecurity and the network and everything else and the build instructions and the, the, the standards supporting you. That's what I call a citizen dentist, you know, someone who really understands all of the IT things and then put both roles together in your organization where it makes most sense and get it to work. I do not want a citizen dentist operating on my teeth or in the business terms, a hugely critical ERP system, but there's dental hygienists for a reason. And I also don't bring in a citizen dentist to brush my teeth at night. So it comes down to the fact that you can apply this technology at different levels to enable lots of different people to achieve lots of different things in their context and that's what makes it powerful you know i am a little wary of the term citizen developer and i'm curious kind of kind of what your definition is so for me you know if the idea is it's your kind of average business user that's not necessarily i don't want to say not technical but you know an average business user the ability to solve their problem through automation mm -hmm. and i know we're not quite there yet there are companies that have put out some successful system development programs, but I, I really wonder if we're ever gonna get there. I, I truly do because I, you know, I know a lot of non-technical people and they, they struggle with, with certain things. You know, do you give them, I remember when Teams came out, they just, people were like, la, 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 that's too complicated. I don't wanna use Microsoft Teams and, you know, anything that has a couple more buttons and bells and whistles on it, you know, and that's so, but I think the concept is fantastic. I think the ability of somebody could do it, but where, where do you think we are? So if, if we're, yes, you think it can happen. So give me your definition. And then yes, if you think it can happen, how far away are we from truly becoming a very realistic goal? Yeah. So I love the term citizen developer and let me explain the layers that I'm talking about. Sure. At no point do I ever suggest that you do not need IT expertise. By goodness, you do, just like you need finance, finance expertise, just like you need HR expertise. And what those brilliant individuals or usually brilliant teams can do with expertise behind them is just exceptional. It really, really is. But or and go back to my comment earlier on about a citizen dentist. I wanted proper dentist when it comes to extraction of drilling my teeth. But I want a hygienist to do certain functions and I want me to brush my teeth to keep myself healthy. In the same regard, businesses have different levels of user. I personally think if you're talking about RPA and intelligent automation, then you do need someone technical. Is that a software developer? Well, yes, it, it can be. And let's be honest, Matthew, not all software developers are geniuses at software development. I know them over the years, you know, and some people who are in roles actually have a technical background, an IT, whatever logic to them, but they're not doing an IT role, if that makes sense, and maybe doing something else. Those are brilliant. I call those line of business developers. And then to your point, you have other folks who actually don't have any competency 
for technology and they shouldn't be allowed near the system whatsoever. I can't play a piano. Do not put me on stage. Do not put me in your child's uh, <laughs> play or, or or whatever it is, musical show at the end of the day. Just don't go there. But let me take it away from RPA and IA for a second. To digitally transform a business, you need everyone involved. You can't hand it to the IT team and go, you digitally transform me. You can't say that RPA and IA are the only tools that you can use. So let me give you a different example. I use Canva. We're now using a different tool here to broadcast a show across the globe. We haven't had to hire a studio. We haven't had to hire a vision engineers, sound engineers or whatever else. You and I advertise this on LinkedIn. You know, so all of a sudden we are citizen publishers because we've been given great technology. We have a competence for this particular piece of digital tech that's allowing us to help our own businesses and to help the community. And therefore, so when I'm talking about what does it mean to be a citizen developer in an organization, well, everybody has to get involved in digital. So you might give everyone LinkedIn, but not everybody's going to be great at social media. You might give a lot of people RPA. You might give some intelligent automation. You might have some experts over here who genuinely are experts who are going to do great stuff and coach and mentor. But we need to widen the definition of citizen developer and we need to trust people and give them the skills and the coaching to do a lot of digital things with let's be honest software that allows complicated things to happen in the hands of an expert and rather wonderful things to happen in the hands of non-experts and i use this example of publishing creating graphics in canva using Streamyard to record podcasts using Veed, which is $20 a month to cut videos, to cut audio, to pumping out material and everything else in between to help digitize an entire organization. If people go to my LinkedIn, they'll see a whole guide on how to create a citizen developer RPA and IA uh, structure, and it does work and I've built them and we've a thriving community and communities where I have built who are delivering amazing business results, really brilliant business results but everybody needs to be involved in digital transformation or business transformation. Give them the variety of different low code tools and allow them to do great things. But if you want a specialist outcome, then you'll need a specialist, so give them that work. But there isn't enough specialists and there isn't enough money in a business to allow that to happen. But never mind that, we are very technologically literate individuals because of what we're doing at home. So don't block me from getting access to great technology and work that allows me to help digitally transform my firm in whatever department I am in because I can contribute to the digital effort we've given this example but it might just be providing ideas to a different team to do digital things as well love digital citizen developer concept I just think it needs explained better and uh, the support and mentorship put in place a lot better than it is currently Awesome. That, that's a really good clarification there, because I think a lot of people just think of that you're going to give your the front desk receptionist this tool and they're going to automate 75 percent of their job and then they're going to be able to do 75 percent more things. You know, and I think I don't think we're there yet. And I, I really like what you're talking about is that we're kind of citizen publishers and, and doing this. And I think that's a really good clarification point there, because. You know, if we tried to do this five years ago, things it would have been a little different, right? The sound quality wasn't as good. There were glitches in the video, but 
the tools evolve to a point that allow you know you and me to do this very well and in a more professional way and i i think that's where the tools still need to evolve a little yep. bit more and i know we're we're getting a little we're going a little bit far on time which is great and we're having some really good points here one thing i wanted to talk about is um those tools so we we talked touch a little bit on the tools out there so you know, I know you yourself are someone that really helps people get going with automation and Blueprint sits at a spot where we see people that are really far along on their automation journey and that something's happened, you know, like it's something they're either they're kind of stuck, they're looking for something a little bit more. And really where we are right now is this concept of somebody wants to switch tools. So in your experience, why is this a hard thing? To begin with, I mean, it's like term migration. You know, you people think you know just some legwork, you put it in there, you get it done. But it doesn't seem to be that for a pay. Why is this such a hard thing to go from blue prism to something else, for example? I think there's a variety of of reasons. One, there's there's no compatibility between the softwares. Remember, the internet exploded because all of a sudden everybody was developing their own separate standard, design common standards, HTML or whatever else there isn't the same compatibility between the softwares that are out there at the moment. So that's technically box number one. Uh, practically box number two is th these tools are unique and they have their own nuances and they need their own development, uh, learning and coding standards. And therefore it takes people to get trained on them. And that costs money to get done. There is free academies and a lot out there in YouTube and everything else. But once you've invested in building a core set of skills, to then move to another application having replaced the first one you now need to train your staff for a second time and that's okay like that's not going to be your biggest cost because you know it's it's training and that takes time and money but it's not the big cost but you're going to have to potentially unconstruct an environment and by that i recommend where you can subject to security go into cloud because it allows you a lot of flexibility but i'm now going to have to hire you know an azure an aws a gps expert I'm now going to have to build the environment and configure everything and sort my firewalls and do all the. That's a chunk of change to begin. And then depending upon how far down you are on your automation journey, there's two other complications. One is I could have invested two years worth of code development. And if I remove this environment, I'm now going to have to build two years worth of code development over here whilst everybody's waiting for me to do the new stuff. And I probably can't do both unless I'm willing to put a a chunk of change into the, the the operation. Now there is something called sunk cost, which says, look, it doesn't matter what you spent over here and how much pride and how much effort you put in. If it's not working, it's not working. Start again and go again. And I do recommend that to folks who have struggled with automation. It works, these tools work. How you went about it and who did it for you or to you, maybe that's a different question. But I do think you need to invest in these tools because I believe in something called digital Darwinism. In other words, if you don't, you're a bit like the dinosaurs, you are going to go out of business because the world is moving digitally. And I don't wish that on anyone, that's just a practical reality. The other one I think is a tough one. <laughs> and this last one is quite a funny one. It's called COE or head of IT or executive pride because they went out and told the business what this technology and this tool would do and they bet their bank on it. And if they now have to come back and say, well, look, do you remember the half a million we put into this? I, I got it wrong. Good news is I now need another half a million to replace it. And then I need another half a million to do all the things that you wanted me to do that are now in backlog. And therefore pride comes before many a thing which holds a program back. But there's not one reason it's compatibility, it's pride, it's sunk cost, it's you know the cost to rebuild again. All those things come in place. Where there's common standards, that would help it. But I do recommend, Matthew, to people, look, if it's not working, 
don't keep going down that rabbit hole further. There is a lot of technology out there that's maybe better suited to you that will allow you to digitize and automate. And there's always something at a different budget for everyone. So please digitally automate, take the, the take it on the chin and go again because you need to digitize. Nice. Yeah, appreciate that. So, and then one of the last things I want to talk about here is getting a little more specific. One of the companies and the tools that we're talking about that blueprint we have our eye on is Microsoft. So, you know, Microsoft has their Power Automate and Microsoft has this long history of kind of coming to the table late and then catching up. You know, SharePoint was a great example of that years ago. They came and people thought it was a joke and now everyone uses SharePoint. I remember, you know, my IT days, again, talking about Microsoft Teams, that was one of the biggest jokes for IT guys. It's like using Teams as your VoIP phone system was laughable. And now it's one of the most commonly used systems and everybody uses it. It's huge, it grew, you know, exponentially. And, you know, they, again, they did it with Xbox, you know, just as a company, they catch up. And, you know, so do you see that kind of happening again with, with Power Automate? Like not necessarily taking over, but becoming a, a really major player here where a lot of people really want that, you know, as part of their stack. Yeah, look, uh, yes is the shortest answer. Microsoft don't get too many things wrong, you know, <laughs> maybe Nokia aside and a couple of others, but in the long term, when they see things that actually work and they know companies need to digitize, and let's be honest, a lot of the world is Microsoft products. So if you have kind of something native related to those products that allow you to do things, then yes, look, this will do amazing. And I've watched Microsoft over the last couple of years add more resources in it, bought SoftMotive three or four years ago, which was a great product at the time. They added on the controller or have started to. I still, I still think it's a little way to go. And there's no criticism in that now, to be honest, because remember UiPaths, Automation Anywhere, all these other tools, Blue Prism, Peg or whatever, have a, you know, 10, 20 years worth of experience behind them to do something. But Microsoft tend to run and run hard. And when they like something, they put money into it and they are putting money into it. The only one thing I would say to folks is, you know, be it Microsoft, be it UiPath, be it Pega, please go out and understand where your business is going. Understand your technology landscape. Look at where that vendor is doubling down on their money and their spend and their research and just map, you know, where you want to go to as a business with the technology roadmap platform that they got and the technologies that you have and then combine all those things together to make a really great decision as to the tool. And that could well be Microsoft Power Automate, it could be Peg, it could be Argos Labs, it could be anything. You know, just pick the tool that is going to best suit your business as opposed to picking the tool and then going out, working out, where do I uh, use this tool to smash things? You know, that's never worked and never will. But hard to bet against Microsoft uh, because of their knowledge and power and investment and, and ability to scale something up quickly yeah but they could fix the memory of teams i'd be delighted but what is uh, what a super 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 product as well yeah yeah that, that's again that's just why I, I feel the exact same way like it's not the bang against it but it's just they, they've done it before i think that when they want to do something when they want to catch up they they do it and they seem like they want to catch up and it's and yeah. i think where people are intrigued in it and just a quick reminder here just one last point here um conversation point between kira and i we are doing this first session live here so if anybody that's attending live has any questions pl please feel free to use the q a ask some questions we have a few more minutes here um you know again going back to our, our citizen developer comment i think microsoft is i think they're all poised they could do it but i think they're probably poised to do it the fastest because there's that integration with tools and 
you know, I consider myself tech adjacent. I'm not an IT guy. I understand technology. I've been in the space for a while. I've I've sold it. I've marketed it. I've done a lot with it. But I am, um, you know, I remember when I first heard of Power Automate for Cloud and Power BI, and I thought it was great, and I jumped in. I was going to make all these things, and I was going to automate all these reports, deliver it all over the company, and all these things. And and I could do it to, I want to say, 80% success. And this is, again, someone who someone understands it. So I think once those tools catch up a little bit, where the people that have a little bit lower of an IT knowledge can really do that, that's really where I think you'll be able to get that true citizen developer development where somebody can automate you know the report creation and emailing of things and distributing reports and stuff like that's really where i see it. i think again because of the integration with microsoft products like excel and outlook i think they're kind of poised to be there yeah it's, it's like everything like if you want mass adoption there isn't mass technical skills out there so how do you abstract the complexity behind the things that allow you to have amazing business experience. And if you're autom able to automate 80% or something, that's absolutely fantastic. You give me back 80% of my day, I will hug you forever. You know, if you look at the adjacent technologies, I love the phrase technology adjacent. I'm going to remember that one. You know, and again, take our usual or our Apple or iPhones or whatever else. Is it amazing tech? Well, possibly and probably, you know what I mean? But it's the amazing experience because now I've not been in a bank in probably 10, 15 years because all of a sudden my banking has become easy. You know, getting a mortgage, organizing insurance, transferring money, getting a credit card, it's all click point, click point. And I don't need to be a qualified banker and I don't need to go to finance university to do all these things. You know, it all just happens. Now, I might go to a tax professional to do my tax. But as soon as a company can give me amazing capabilities to allow me to have more control of the things that I want and need to make amazing, uh, an amazing work experience in a logical, simple way, the more that will get mass distributed. Now, the question is, and this is one for organizations, and it goes back to your citizen developer. For me, everyone needs to get involved in digital to allow you to digitally transform the firm. And that EA or that receptionist you're talking about earlier on, free their time. Well, they could start doing social media commenting and replying and you do, you know, passing over ideas or, you know, they could suggest something if you taught them about, you know, chatbots or conversational AI or conversational business applications, they could run intents and workflows and answer Q and A's, amazing stuff. Our firm's going to invest in people's digital skills. I personally think they should because the world is becoming more digital as opposed to throwing people away and bringing in new people for the sake of it. You know, you need to career path people and keep that expertise in the business. Or are they going to try and run it out of a smaller team and put something like a conversational business application layer? And those are appearing more and more in business, think of Druid AI or something, are, are doing one of those. And therefore, instead of having to worry about citizen developers or IT technical people, you talk through a multimodal conversational layer where all of the complexity has been removed for you. So you don't have to use digital. The environment or the tooling that you're using takes away all of the complexity and it's as natural as a conversation to engage with a business or to achieve something inside of a business as it is for you and me to talk today. That's the exciting piece of technology because all this new immersive, intelligent, conversational layering and experiencing is coming. But can you imagine, Matthew, if we did all that 
and we gave people digital skills, just how progressive organizations could be. Yeah, I think that's the goal and I think people see it. I think we need the tools to continue catching up and we need people like yourself to help get the education out there. Because I do think there's, like you said, when people start at ground zero, it takes a long way to get there. So we need more people like yourself to help get that knowledge to go a little faster. So Karen, give us the name of the book again, please. Yeah, it's the A to Z of digital transformation, an OBS guide. <laughs> Uh, but there's only me on LinkedIn, or, or I'm sorry, I should say on Amazon where I've published it, that, that has my name as an author so far. Uh, and I, I hope everybody gets the book and I know you will learn something and be confident I'm telling people to buy the book, not because I want to profit from the book. I want individuals to profit from the knowledge in the book. And there's 90 plus people in that, like myself, who've been hand chosen and feel good about yourself as well, because the profits from the book will go to charity as well. So please, if you want a practical guide that you can pick up, dip into, and immediately take action of, that is one of the books out there that will be really useful for you. But in addition, please connect to the experts in the book and follow their content and connect. They're just brilliant people. We are an amazing community, Matthew. I've never been in as willing to share and as beautiful mm -hmm. a friendship of a community as, as as this. All boats rise on a floating tide. So please, what you learn, then distribute and share, and then feel a little bit good about yourself that the money that's raised will go to charities to help people who are a lot more disadvantaged than you and I. And hopefully that can make a little contribution to their life as well. That's great, Karen. And I really, again, the book's a great read. And I really think it truly is an A to Z book because it's really not just for the intro people starting off. I think if you've been doing this for years, you'll learn something as well. So so thank you so much uh, for, for that and telling us about your book. And thank you for being here today. This was a great chat. And hopefully nope. people learn a little bit from this too. A lot of fun. I wish you every success with the podcast series. I, I thoroughly had a good time today. I hope everybody else did. And keep checking in to hear from more experts who are willing to share their knowledge all for free, all to try and get this community to do amazing things. I wish yeah. you every success and everyone who is listening in now and in future episodes the same success. Thank you very much. And thank you, everybody who attended live today. And please check us out for more episodes coming down the road. Thanks all. Have a wonderful day. Goodbye.